0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. We have a special edition here uh, to talk about the Ironman World Championships. So to talk about it, we have Marilyn.
1: Hey, guys. How's it going?
0: And myself, Jesse. Jesse. And yeah, I'm pretty excited. I was not able to be there, but Marilyn was able to be there. So I'm really excited to pick her brain about what it was like actually being boots on the ground of the very first world championships, not in Kona. So yeah, I, was,
1: I was laughing with a friend before we were caught. We were trying to get the uh, she was trying to get the hashtag. Um uh hashtag utah Kona <laughs> she was like she's like come on everyone get utah Kona. <laughs> um, so it, it was it was fun to 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 be there for sure.
0: Yeah, I did see that they had a lot of the like Hawaii theme still going on in in Utah. So that was that was interesting. Um... I
1: guess. Yeah, you know it's 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 kind of interesting with triathlon. You know, most with COVID and everything, most sports that missed you know major events like World Championships and stuff like that, they just sort of let it go, right? They just sort of okay, well, it didn't happen in 2021, and for triathlon to go ahead and say we're going to try and give everybody the best opportunity for all the qualifications that they put their heart and souls into, and and also you know money spent and all of those things, and give them the opportunity to have world championships. So we're really blessed in our sport that we, yes, we got We got this St. George world championship opportunity. And it was another chance for the pros to race hard and make money. And then they're going to get to race the 2022 world championships in Kona later this year. So pretty unique to triathlon. You know, we know triathlon a unique sport and I think probably hats off and kudos to our sport and our organizers for allowing these kinds of opportunities, not only for our professionals, but our amateurs and that other sports just sort of went, you know, too bad, so sad. We didn't get it in 2001, let's move on. And, and those were just sort of heartbreaks that people had to get over. So I think it's worth mentioning that. And then, um, you know, I'd like to hear from you, Jesse, and, and we can talk about it as far as feedback from our athletes. I had six athletes racing there. How many did you have? I had four, four. So pretty big number between the two of us to say, like, did this, one of the questions I've gotten a lot is like, and we talked about a lot is did this actually feel like a world championships or did it just feel like another race? You know? Um, I think that's, that's something to talk about for sure. I mean, gosh, 3,500, participants plus all the organizers volunteers sponsors spectators i mean what a huge huge mob of people an event and i can tell you from being there it went off without a hitch i couldn't believe it like the amount of lines and people you would think there's going to be some kind of disaster at some point is and everything just ran really really smoothly i mean it was to me, I thought, wow, what an incredible job. Because we know from running just even something as small as a camp, how hard it can be to. I kept thinking, I was like, herding cats. How about 3,500 cats? Let's heard that.
0: It's a lot Stressed of cats.
1: Stressed out, all different cultures, languages, and 3,500 of them with the logistics of St. George. I mean, we're talking, you know, the swim and T1 is 30 minutes away from T2 and town where. other where the other stuff was I mean huge logistics for the athletes and the organizers
0: so pretty impressive stuff there as well so yeah I guess kind of take me into what it was like like day before the race I don't know if you were kind of in the mix of all the the hoopla which is like even I I get nervous just kind of picturing what was going on there because I feel like it's so stressful um how was it with that many athletes did it did it feel like did it have that world championship vibe of like, Hey, these people are all like here to to play ball. Like what, what was that like? Uh, yeah. The day before the race,
1: I think it did. I mean, I think it, you know, it's never going to be Kona Kona is so special in our sport and it has so much history and it has such a, um, amazing atmosphere, but as far as it feeling like a world championships in other regard, I, I, I think so. You know, there was everyone there looked, Extremely focused and fit, and excited to be there. It was really cool to be back in an event where there was all kinds of international languages, and you know, I I personally got to catch up with some people from all over the world that I haven't seen in years, you know, literally years. And you know, as far as the the industry goes, with sponsors and different brands that were there, and different athletes, and you know, the the athlete village, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, they did a really good job of of bringing that whole atmosphere and feel to, to the event. And, um, yeah, you know, as far as logistics as complicated, that was one complaint that a lot, I heard a lot of athletes say is that having it in a place like Utah, the way they do, the logistics are time consuming and tiring the day be- days before the race, because it's so spread out. Mm-hmm. However, the Ironman and the town of St. George, I think handled it and, and set it up for real success. I mean, we got down to the swim start on the practice day on Thursday, and there was this huge lineup that was like, oh my gosh, it was so long. And I thought, God, we're going to be standing here for, I said to the athletes I was there with, I said, look, if it looks like you're going to be standing here in the sun on the pavement for over an hour to just do a 15 minute swim, just bag it. Like it's not worth it. And it didn't, it was like so fast, like maybe 15 minutes, they got them in there and they had them all chipped and there was kayakers out there and they funneled them through, you know, took care of their bags, that kind of stuff and got them in and out of there really fast. And, and, you know, so I think as far as that parking in town, getting in and out of things, it was all really smooth, really good. Um, And yeah, it, it was like exciting to see, you know, a lot of people who were really fit and from all over the world again you know, cause we go to races in the U S and you get a few internationals and that kind of thing, but it's not the majority it's. And especially over the last couple of years, nobody's been traveling. Right. So right. it's been like, you're at a race and it's pretty much everyone from your own country. And this, this brought it all back together again. And I think that that, that provided a really good environment and seeing all the, you know, I know a lot of the big names and big players weren't able to make it the pro start field was kind of like if you were able to get to the start line and start it was a victory at this race between COVID and injuries and just travel and other things going on but it still had a lot of big hitters there and so it might have been a smaller field but the quality of the field that was there was still so impressive and so to see you know that sort of competition lineup. Anytime you get a really competitive race, that was really great to see. And there was a lot of people who are legendary in the sport, who are walking around being part of the pre-race stuff, you know, interviews, interacting with athletes, um, just, you know, walking around. I mean, just down at that swim start, I must have seen, you know, five or six past, Ironman, you know, Hawaii winners, just hanging out with athletes, doing a swim as well. So it brought that feel to it that you're not going to get at, at other races.
0: Awesome. Yeah. It sounds like, sounds like it felt like a world champs, which is, which is awesome. That's great to hear.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I did hear that, the the buses in the morning were, were a little bit rough. I was talking to some spectators that had to wait a little bit extra time, but then when you think about all the spectators are trying to bus, if it takes you an extra 20 minutes, maybe that's not crazy. But, um, but yeah, it sounds like St. George did a really good job to rally around the race and, and make it happen.
1: Yeah. The one thing I would have, <laughs> I would, if I was racing, would have been complaining nonstop about is how early everything was. I mean, there all was right. some people, and, and I don't know what the answer to that kind of thing would be, but you know, there was athletes that had, we were up at 3. AM and what, and there was, and my athletes all had later wave starts. So it allowed for that, but you know, with transition being closed, all that kind of thing, it was, You know, I think there's some, I don't know what the answer is, but to me as a coach, there's some concern about having someone wake up at two 30 in the morning and that same athlete having a, you know, they sent some of the later, um, you know, the older age groups in particular females much later in the waves and having that is the group that potentially could be out there on a course like this, that is so challenging and the wind and the heat and the difficulty of the course, maybe 16 hours, 15, 16 hours, so you're asking someone to be up at two 30 in the morning and then be on a course that is that challenging and potentially be racing for 16 hours, 15, 16 hours, and not have any kind of, you know, issues happen. I think there's, I think that needs to be looked at. There's some risk in my mind of that, you know, whether it's changing the waves and giving them, you know, I don't, I really don't know what the answer would be with that, number of athletes. Um, but having, I think it's worth health wise looking at, is it appropriate and smart to have people awake that early and then expect them to exert themselves that long on that difficult of a course. That's just, that's just my personal opinion though.
0: And, and they're waking up early and then there's a delay before they start. So maybe they're up at two 30, but they don't get to start until like, what, like eight o'clock. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like they've already had a full day before they even start their 16 hour day or 15 hour day. You know, I don't, I don't know that, like I say, I don't know what the answer is to that, but I think it's worth recognizing and saying like, Hey, I I don't know that long-term that that's really a good idea for some of these athletes.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's an early wake up and a long time between. Mm Hmm. So yeah, from, from my end, I was really only able to watch the pro race, which was exciting for me to be able to watch that. And, um, definitely had a bunch of FOMO, but, um, but I didn't get to see really the nitty gritty of what was going on the rest of the day. So I would love if you kind of take me through some of the conditions that you were able to, to kind of experience actually being there. Um, so I guess since let's start with the swim, like how it it looked pretty flat. Uh, and when the pros jumped in, I don't know if that changed dramatically throughout the morning or was it, was it hot? Was it cold? Did they have good coffee? Give me the play by play. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I don't know if they had any good coffee down there. I wish I would have found that if they did, but, um, I will say, yeah, you know, the conditions look in, as far as the swim course looked really good. You know, it was nice. It was nice swim conditions. The main factor on the swim was how cold the water was the days leading in. It was much colder. It was like 60 degrees. And then race morning was like 63, 64 degrees. So it warmed up a little bit the day before was really hot. So the lake weren't had warmed up a bit. However, you know, doing a run in start and, uh, the pros got a chance to get in the water and do a warm up, but the amateurs did not. And um, to go from standing around, like we say, let's say they got there, some of them two hours, maybe two hours plus of sitting around before they go. I know a lot of them are are well trained and coached to do proper warm ups before dry land warm ups, which I think helps. But, uh, when the water is that cold to do a, you know, be standing around in the sun and then do a run in and boom, you hit 60, you know, let's say 63 degrees water, which is still pretty cold. You saw a lot of people end up with some serious, uh, medical issues because of that and having to actually be pulled from the water. Many athletes, if it wasn't that severe, at least experience that, you know, like they're feeling winded almost like a, a bit of an asthma attack away. yeah it just takes their breath away and they uh, the feedback i got from a couple of my athletes who all had exceptional races raced really well but they still that's the one thing that they said about the day was man when i hit that water for the first x number 100 of meters i was the only thing i cared about is i was really struggling to catch my breath and they were like almost doing that aggressive you know big breath out to try and calm themselves down and and you know get that air in their lungs i had one uh, athlete unfortunately that did end up with this pretty serious medical issue because of that where um you know the lungs fill with water and blood and they and they need to be pulled from the water and their oxygen level goes down to like 80. so so that's and then and then when that happens they have to they have to pull them out of the water and not let them continue and i know that that happened to a fair number of athletes in this race. If you go on, I think there's like the Ironman Facebook page. There's a ton of chatter and talk about that specific thing happening at this race. So I think just standing around waiting for a long time and then running into the water and it hitting it cold, that was a bit of a factor with the swim. But other than that, it was other than that. I mean, (laughs) you know, the, we, we both know that that Utah Lake can be we've seen years past where they had to cancel the swim or pull people out because of conditions. And it wasn't all as beautiful as lovely and, you know, nice and flat and and really nice swim conditions for people. So um, a lot of the swims were long, uh, long swim times. And I haven't quite, you know, talked through why they might've been quite as long as they were, but they seemed a bit long across the board for everyone. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. It did look like there's even like a small amount of chop, even if it was not the, uh, not the six foot waves we've seen in that reservoir before um yeah i guess just kind of to go back to that uh that shock or that little bit of panic you can get in the cold water do you think in utah it's it's the cold water or it's like the cold water combined with the elevation cuz it does seem like it's it's a perfect storm there for that to happen more so than than other races yeah and i i'm not sure like and maybe the fact that it's a world championship made it even more everyone's like a little more high strung but i do think yeah that cold water and maybe maybe this is a little higher than most people are used to. And that just makes it that much easier for that to happen. I don't know.
1: That's a good question. I mean, it sounds like the perfect storm to me. You know, it's like if we could pinpoint exactly why those things happen. But, um, you know, I think all of those things definitely play a factor.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Well, um, that's a hard way to start a long day. That's for sure. (laughs) Right. Most of them recovered, which is great. That is good. Um, all right. So yeah, again, let's jumping onto the bike course and we all could see the elevation profile. We know that that bike course is, is brutal, but what was, what was the, the feel like, I guess when the athletes were riding, like what it, was it hot? Was it windy? Were you chilly? Yeah. You know, what's
1: amazing is we, like we said that we know how hard that bike course is the, you know, long climbs, the, the wind out there was, it was definitely windy. I mean, just standing on the ground. It, you know, you're getting blown around. and especially later in the day, it was obviously the later it went, the winds just picked up more and more early in the morning for the pro field. I think the wind was pretty manageable. Um, however, it was still windy, definitely. Uh, and then as the race went on, and certainly by the time the majority of the field was on the back half of the course, it was extremely windy and and later in the day, yeah, I mean, it was if you made a poor, front wheel choice or wheel choice in general, you're you're definitely going to be feeling it. I saw plenty of people coming down the fast hill in town with a deep dish front wheel, and a disc and literally almost get blown off their bike. There was a couple of them I was like holy crap, like how did that guy save that because it was like cat skills cuz he was like picked up, whipped to the side and then somehow landed it. And even someone else like someone yelled out like you're okay man, you're okay because it was unbelievable how this person didn't crash in that wind and and those going that fast on the downhills. Um but I will say you know like as you saw with the pro men's times, they were fast and fast comparable to Kona. I mean I think what's the usual times right around that 415 to 418 for the majority of the field in Kona and the, the guys here rode 416 right mm-hmm. um and so I think it's really interesting to see as hard as the elevation was and how windy it was that the course was still relatively fast for the professionals. I think it added you know, because it got windier and windier, the dynamics obviously between the pro race and the amateur race are considerably different tactics, dynamics, all of those things, as well as, you know, the conditions got windier as the day went. Absolutely. So the amateur bike times were, I think affected more because for that and Mm -hmm. versus how the pro race might've played out for the front of the field.
0: Yeah. It seemed like at least just looking at the way my athletes um, fared on the course is that the slightly the slightly slower athletes like it kind of got even slower like those those gaps got got bigger and it seemed like like you said like the pointy end they still went pretty close at the same time but then if you're a little bit back from that it seemed like those time gaps just kind of ballooned up given i don't know if it was just being out on the course a few minutes later and having to deal with more and more wind or or whatever it was like the hills just got a little bit steeper for the athletes that you know weren't quite at the pointy end it, it, it did seem like Yeah, the the further back the athletes got kind of the more that gap ballooned.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it did get a lot windier as the day went on, as well as I think a lot of people when I'm at the world championships, I'm sticking with this like big arrow front wheel, or, you know, I'm in St. George, so I'm going to put a disc on or whatever. And it got so windy in the afternoon. One, if you are that, some of those descents there are fast. I mean, without even trying, you're going well over 40 miles an hour up into 50 miles an hour. So if you are not used to going, that speed downhill with an 808 and a disc being blasted by, you know, side crosswinds, you're going to have to slow down, you know, you, you slow down, slow down, slow down. And now it makes a section of the course that could be really, really fast. If one, you had a better wheel choice or great even improved bike land skills to be able to go that fast downhill. So, so one of those two things, you know, the, one of my athletes, we made the call the day before. I was like, Abs-, she had a four, uh, 808 on the front. Well, a seven, I was like a 707 or something strange like that. It was basically an 808. And I was like, put your 404 on. Absolutely. And because the days before we pro- pre rode that descent and she was up in her hoods and she was kind of, you know, she was going fast, but not that fast. And she wasn't an arrow. And I was like, no, you need to put the 404 on. And so that you can get in your arrow bars, get really low and have confidence to really ride and boogie down that downhill. And she did that. And during the race, it was 10 times windier than it was the days before. And, and she was like, ma'am, she, she said she passed a hundred people on that descent. She just went absolutely flying down at, a, you know, 50 miles an hour and everyone else was propped up in their hoods and having to slow down because they they were getting tossed all over the place and it wasn't safe. So I think on a course like this, I think in Kona, everybody just knows that they're like, okay, you know, there's well one, they don't allow discs in Kona, um, but you know, everyone it pays attention to that more. And here, I don't think people took that seriously enough about how much faster they could go on this course just based on one one small decision?
0: Yeah, yeah. But one of the little guys I coach, uh, I made him go down to like his his two hundred two, right, or whatever, like twenty, and he, um, I think he was pretty grateful that that's what he used mm-hmm. because, yeah, I think, and it actually, I was talking to another coach before the race, and they kind of said that that descent was going to be one of the one of the keys in this race. And that everybody was kind of focusing on the climbs. And it sounds like, it sounds like he kind of nailed it, that that was maybe where people were going really fast and gaining some time or sitting up and losing a bunch of time. Cause if you're going 55 versus if you're nervous and breaking going 25, cause that stretch is pretty long, right? It's like, I don't know. I don't remember like 10, 20 miles of descending.
1: Yeah. And it's also really exposed, you know, you start right, way yeah. up on that top and then you're just uh, uh v what are you vo or up there the top, yeah. yeah and then you just like that's a long ways from that spot all the way back into town it's, yeah it's really long
0: yeah yeah yeah. Um,
1: yeah so really 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 cool i mean i'll definitely say in terms of the uh pro race there was like a group of four guys that came in hauling ass downhill together and them riding you know as a as a triathlon group um they were moving a lot faster than there was some individuals that came in after like spread out by themselves in that group, the speed that you saw them going were significantly different, even like visible to the eye. Mm -hmm. And then there was like another group that came in not long after that. And same thing, like they were moving much, much faster in the pro men's field. So I think it, it benefited as always, but in particular on those kinds of really fast downhills with the, with the wind being cross and headwind on the downhills. I think if you were on your own in terms of the pro race, it might've affected you quite a bit more than if you were working with say two or three or four other, four other people.
0: Yeah, that's, it's interesting. Cause I think everyone was kind of like, well, this might be a good race to like kind of time trial it because of the climbs and you don't get as much benefit on the climb when you're averaging 12 miles an hour. But maybe it was worth it for some of those guys to be in that group to have that fast descent. Cause that is a long stretch where you can make up some time. So that's yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Um, So, you know, when I was watching, it looked like people were warm, but I don't really know how, how warm did that run course get out there? Dude,
1: I will tell you, like, I remember texting someone halfway through the day. They're like, it looks warm out there, but you know, I think the, the, temperature people were reporting back online was like 90 degrees or something like that. I'm from Tucson, as you are, we know, (laughs) we know warm and we know hair dryer dry warm, right? I mean, and I was standing there and I was like, it's freaking hot out here. That sun was just belting on top of your head. And I think, you know, the uphills on this run course were so long and it was so exposed and hot that if, If you didn't look after yourself, you know, it's, as you know, it's so easy to overheat when you're going uphill, you know, you got a little tailwind, you're climbing for a long time on a hill on the run and it's 90 degrees, but the sun's sitting right on top of your head at elevation. That's, Mm -hmm. that's hot. I mean, it's 90, but feels like 105. Right. And people were, every single person was like. I'm I'm dying. That's all. Even the, You know, like even people who are racing really, really well, like, you know, I had one athlete, she won her age group by an hour and she was, she started the run with a 30, 31 minute lead by the first lap. It had ballooned out to 55 minutes. And she, she ended up winning over an hour and simply just because she was able to to stay strong and steady and stay cool and, and never crumble in those kinds of conditions. It was people either the the advice I gave people the days before. And, you know, every one of my athletes ran really well. I had one athlete who actually did a negative split on that marathon, which is crazy. Right. And then another one that probably had one of his best runs ever in an Ironman. And, and then like the other one, I said, just ballooned out her lead on the run, which is, you know, usually something that she struggles with and she just ran like an absolute champ. So I think the advice that I gave them the days before was manage your heat on the uphills, manage your quads on the downhills, the first lap. And if you're able to continue to run the uphill strong on the, on the second lap and have no issues within your body to be able to boogie on the downhill on the second lap, you're going to race really well. And that was like the main thing I kept hitting home with them. And once I was out there and it was so hot being out there and seeing how hard it was to, you know, be strong on that uphill and then people could really make use of their speed and staying right over up over top of the front of their foot and boogie downhill. If they could do that on the second lap, they were, they were running really well. If they had, if they were blown and their quads were blown to be able to keep running hard uphill, or they were just dying of heat, you know, it was a lot of walking uphill. And, and then they turned around and you saw like people like doing the, like hamstring grab or the quad grab, cause they couldn't handle the downhill anymore. And they were cramping then that made for a really long day. So just being able to stay cool on the uphills and keep running and then really being able to like, when we saw like, you know, six minute mile average for that marathon and that heat, it's like, how is that even possible? And I think it's like the people who could run really fast downhill went pretty fast um that that to me is what it it looked like out there
0: yeah again that's super interesting because um just like the bike i would think that the uphills would be kind of the deciding factors but really it sounds like it's more like were people actually able to open up their stride and really run the downhill strong and that may be more of a more of a, a game changer than how strong they ran the uphills eh
1: yeah, I actually, that was very Canadian of you, eh? I, uh, there was one dude, it was so funny, some random dude where I was standing, he was I, he was talking to like a, an athlete beside him, they were running on the downhill, and he goes, God, the downhills suck more than the uphills, <laughs> and I was, I was like, yo, oh my gosh, but I think it's because the downhill was so long, you know, it was just this, they were long, long stretches of downhill, they weren't, you know, necessarily steep the whole time or anything like that, but it was just, really long downhills and so if you were able to to run those well throughout the entire marathon then you you actually ran i think you ran pretty well because everyone kind of looked the same uphill you know unless they had completely blown themselves and fallen apart but uh, as far as the pro race went you know a lot of those guys look strong and steady uphill they're so fit and they are able to manage heat and you know that kind of thing and regulate their their effort and their core temperature and those kinds of conditions on the uphill it looked like everyone was kind of running their own race on the uphill and it looked to me like the ones that were really running well downhill were the ones that just kept moving through the field and and going really well
0: awesome that's cool Yeah. yeah it was interesting to watch watch the the lead change i guess not so many times but at least like the the field got so mixed up on the run and you kind of were like those, the first three guys had such a strong lead coming off the bike. You're kind of like, well, is this going to be set? But, I mean, you know, so much changes in the run, but that was always a, that was a, an interesting race to watch yeah. lead, the guys sure. switch around.
1: It was from, from where I was standing on the first part of the, the run, that group, the group of guys that came through, it was, it was a minute and three seconds from the first place guy to the fifth place guy, uh, on the run at the start, and um, one of my friends who placed fourth, Chris, who I did the interview with, he was three minutes down from that group. And by the time he came down the hill obviously on the second lap, he had moved from you know three minutes back on fifth into fourth place. So so I think you know it'd be interesting to ask I didn't have a conversation with him afterwards, but it'd be interesting to ask him like that's what it looked like from an outside perspective. I would love to know from an inside perspective of how it felt if If what i saw was actually how it felt when you're when you're racing out there i know that the amateur athletes that i coach that like i say they all really really perform well they all gave me that that feed that feedback that that worked really well and that execution plan allowed them to to feel good and run all run really well which made a huge difference in their day um but from a professional standpoint i'd be interested to hear what, you know, maybe you would talk to Ben or I, you know, talk to Chris as far as like, is that actually how it felt in the pro race based on how it looked, you know, how it looks and how it feels are two totally different things. Yeah, sometimes. Very, they can be very different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's only an outside perspective.
0: Yeah. So I guess besides really making sure that your athletes had a great plan for execution, is there anything else you feel like in the preparation that made them Prepared to tackle a course like this?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, every single one of the people that I took, they all had very different plans going into this race because with all of my athletes, no one athlete is the same and no plan is the same of what their week looks like or their builds look like into races. But the one common denominator on all of them is I kept their the run volume high. You know, they all, the ones that all did really well on this course the the most common denominator between all of their programs is their they had a a a big well of fitness they had some really big bike rides in them but you know their all their cycling was preparation was significantly different from one another so trying to it would be like comparing apples and oranges in terms of that but the one thing that would be if i had to say what's the most the common thing that each of them had that did well on this course it was that that their run volume in their build was quite high going into into this race and i think that allowed intensity was low you know, there wasn't a lot of real hard running at any point in their builds. Some of them had a little more hard than others. There's all kinds of, you know, yeah. like I say, it's unique to each athlete, but I would say overall, the, the number one thing was that no one did a ton of speed type stuff. Cause it wasn't going to be necessary for this run, but they all had pretty high run volume going in.
0: Nice.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think with, um, with my athletes and, and I think that, yeah, I haven't. Had a huge conversation with all of them yet, but I'm pretty psyched on how all the races played out. And one of the things that I did a little bit differently is a lot less actual like pace work, which sounds somewhat similar to what you're saying. Where we didn't, I didn't really focus much on even on the bike or or on the run about doing a ton of like specific Ironman pace or anything like that. More just kind of like you're saying, like did a fair amount of volume and some workouts to get their fitness really high, but not specifically like, Hey, this is, you know, we're going to do a very specific Ironman pace workout. Cause this was in Arizona where you can actually just put your head down and go at Ironman pace. And, and so, yeah, I think kind of just focusing on being generally fit and less about what you might consider like being more classically ready to race an Ironman when it seemed to seem to go pretty well.
1: Yeah, the one and a question I've gotten from some people so far, it's only been a couple of days, but some from some outside people uh, looking in have asked asked me, oh, did you have your athletes do a lot of strength work going in into this type of course, especially because I know a lot of people know that I am, you know, big into the strength world, that kind of thing just and so they're like oh did you have your athletes actually do quite a bit of gym work into this kind of course and the downhill running and all that kind of stuff and the answer is absolutely no (laughs) i mean oh no because um our the sport of triathlon when you're in a race preparation build obviously again it's not a broad paint brush everyone is a little bit different and each one of them has their own unique either injury prevention program whether it's like a rehab routine that they do two, three times a week, or one specific gym exercise for a, a, you know, a specific weakness of theirs that we need to stay on top of. There is definitely a little bit of that, but more so, you know, doing hills on the bike, doing hills on the run, you know, those kinds of things, doing the paddle sets in the pool the the volume was high enough in each one of their builds into this type of race which was the key thing to make them race successfully here there wasn't there wasn't room for also the training stress of strength work it would have just been too much it would have tipped tipped things over the edge and not necessary so although like i say a couple of them might have had some injury prevention type routines, which I don't consider, you know, really adds to the, the stress of training. It just is injury prevention. But as far as actually like moving weight and getting stronger in a gym, that is certainly something that I did not do with any of them going into this race. So as far as people asking that question, no. (laughs)
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, so I guess to, since you touched on that a little bit, did you incorporate a fair amount of, whether you want to call it sport specific strength work or however you want to phrase that, but like, like climbing, um, on the bike low into work, paddles, did you include a lot of that for your athletes?
1: Yeah. And the one thing that I did encourage and, and include in most of their programs was trail running. Nice. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it put them some long runs on trails, it's dirt, so it's not going to beat them up as much or even some long hikes, but it's going to give them that, uh, you know, a little bit of you know, dynamic movement and the ankles and the hips and that kind of stuff and the downhill running and, you know, avoiding rocks and that kind of thing. And so the ones that could do a lo- some long, you might only incorporate long trail runs in someone's off season, but I really did include that within their program into this kind of race for, for a number of them.
0: Nice. Yeah. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm a big fan of that as well. Yeah. Um, well I said, I was going to keep you here for 30 minutes, we've already cross that threshold. I don't want to keep you for too much longer. Um, yeah. Any, any other big takeaways you noticed from like, from being there, I guess that people might not have been able to, to feel from watching the race at home.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, obviously the big factors were this was, um, this was when I was standing there, I was like, I remember thinking several times throughout the day, it was like, wow, this is a really, really hard course, you know, (laughs) between the conditions and the terrain. And as far as Ironman goes, I was like, you know, absolutely hats off. Kudos to every single athlete that showed up their race, towed the line and finished because huge, huge race and, and such a difficult Ironman course. I mean, Ironman's hard enough as it is. I mean, these, these events are just, they're, we we know they're hard, you know. And so do it in on that type of course, and then to add that kind of wind and heat, just such a hard course. So for a world championships, absolutely a legit course. And um, I think everybody's excited to take the the other thing that I think across the board of anyone that I talked to, whether it was industry people or athletes, I think everybody was supportive and happy that this happened. And it was a good launching pad back into this type of racing. However, however, everyone is really excited to get back to Kona. So the question we asked earlier in the year of will Ironman likely start moving the world championships around on different courses around the world, or will this become Ironman's new world championships home? Uh, Obviously we don't know the answer to that yet, but I think the feedback I got from everyone there is. There's no place like Kona, you know, and I think everyone will be, this was a great start back. And this was like really great to get everybody excited again. And I think everyone's really looking forward to actually being back in Kona and going back to our roots and our history of the sport.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, I, I feel a little bit bad for the champions of this race because they do only get to wear the crown for what five months and then and then there is another world championship so hopefully we can really really celebrate the athletes that did win um you know their age groups or the overall here and and kind of like because they did toe the line on a really hard course and take the win or do well and i think that's awesome and i would hate for that to be kind of diminished just because it wasn't kona um but But yeah, I think you're right. Everyone is pretty excited to get back to the big island and get to race Kona this fall. So hopefully we'll get to see some more fun racing there.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Jesse. Really fun to chat about it.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the perspective of of being there. It's good to hear. I appreciate it.
1: Cheers.